Hello, and welcome to the Narrative Matters podcast, where we hear stories about experiences with the healthcare system and the people in it that highlight the important policy issues of today. I'm Jessica Bylander. Today, I'm talking to Susanna Smith, a writer and healthcare journalist based in Colorado. Smith wrote the March Narrative Matters essay, which focuses on how the healthcare system lacks more meaningful protections for people who are at risk for genetic disease. In the essay, she writes about her mother's diagnosis with an inherited genetic condition that can cause strokes, dementia, and even death, which she has a 50% risk of developing, and the hard lessons she's learned about what genetic information is protected and from whom. Susanna, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Jessica. So your essay to me revealed the many limitations of the Genetic Information Non-Discrimination Act, or GINA, which was passed in 2008. Um, And so that law does offer some protections, you know, in terms of insurance coverage and employment, but it leaves a lot out, as we'll hear about today, for example, life insurance protection. Um, Why do you think that is? I think expanding protections for genetic information... um was a big political effort. And I think in 2008, um, they passed a law that was as expansive as they could get through at the federal level. Um, Since that time, we've seen a lot of state protections go into place that um, have filled some of the holes left in GINA. But there are still a number of states that don't offer expansive protections for long-term care insurance disability. So there's, there's still holes at the state level. And um, this essay, I know from talking to you, is part of a larger memoir you're working on. I, first of all, really look forward to seeing that published one day. Um, What do you hope will come of publishing it? So in my memoir, Not Knowing, I um, sort of follow my own story and my family's story through the healthcare system, um, struggling with genetic disease and genetic information. And I think um, what I'm hoping will come with it is that both people, patients, but also healthcare providers and policymakers will really understand what it means to live with the disease and sort of the future of where we're headed, where a lot of people will learn this kind of genetic information and the protections we don't have both in the healthcare system, but also legally um, for people who are living with genetic disease. Great. There's a lot of lessons in this piece and I'm sure in your larger work. So thanks again for joining us. Now, here is Susanna Smith reading her essay, Keeping Quiet About Genetic Risk. So my mother had a massive stroke 15 years ago. She was diagnosed months later with cerebral autosomal dominant arteriopathy with subcortical infarcts and leukoencephalopathy, Catacil. Catacil is an inherited genetic condition that causes mood disorders, migraines, strokes, dementia, and death. There is no known treatment or cure for the disease. My risk of developing catacil is 50%. People often seem surprised to learn that I don't know my catacil status and that I don't want to know. Yet this is common among people like me. As many as 90% of people at risk of developing Huntington's disease, for example, choose not to learn their status. With good reason, I'd say. Watching my mother die brain cell by brain cell has been my greatest heartbreak. And I know I might die the same way, but there's little I can do about it. So even if I test negative for the condition, there are 20 other people in my family still at risk. I will never escape this disease, but the healthcare system and the law could make it less threatening to live with it. Soon after my mother's diagnosis in 2008, my parents, my sibling, and I met with a geneticist 
who explained that catastal symptoms usually begin to show between the ages of 35 and 55. I was 28. The geneticist broached the topic of genetic testing, pointing out that my siblings and I could learn our disease status, if we wanted to. And he told us that the Genetic Information Non-Discrimination Act, GINA, a bill that would be made into law later that year, would prohibit health insurance companies from using genetic information to deny coverage or raise premiums. It also would outlaw genetic discrimination by employers. There are things the law won't offer you, the geneticist said, and it's important you understand this. He paused, as if to ensure he had our attention. The discrimination protections in GINA don't apply to life insurance, long-term care insurance, or disability, he said. Those protections could be very important with a disease like Catacil. If you decide to get tested, you should apply for them first. I visited my primary care physician, seeking advice on how to reduce my risk of having a stroke. He studied the printout I handed him with my mother's Catacil test results for a long moment. This must have been very difficult news for your family, he said, his eyes holding mine. I don't think there's any benefit to putting these results in your chart. We're going to keep this conversation between us. Hearing those words, I exhaled deeply as the seriousness of the situation came into sharp focus. I trusted this doctor. He had my best interest at heart. And like the geneticist, he agreed that I had something to hide. Some might question my doctor's approach, his willingness to keep information off the record. But I'm grateful he had the foresight to realize how potentially damaging my mother's test results could be for me. Nearly eight years later, when my husband John and I began to discuss having children, I still didn't know my catacyl status. If I had the disease, I didn't want to pass it on. We considered and dismissed pursuing in vitro fertilization with pre-implantation genetic diagnosis because of the cost, the potential discomfort, and the fact that we had no fertility concerns. We decided to try to get pregnant naturally, and if that happened, we would do prenatal testing and end any pregnancy that tested positive for Catacil. Now I was puzzling that decision around in my mind one warm winter afternoon as I sat outside on the front porch of my house with my mother. Negre Subaru drove by. You live on a pretty busy street, Mom said. It is a busy street, I replied. And thoughts seemed to flash in her mind like fireflies, alighting and then flitting away in the darkness. And I wished that afternoon that Mom and I could talk about the disease, which was destroying her brain a little more each day. And I wished I could have told her that John and I had been talking about trying to have a baby. Both paths were laden with emotional landmines. Mom leaned back in her wheelchair, basking in the sun. Another car drove by. You live on a pretty busy street, she said. It's a pretty busy street, I said, trying to respond like it was the first time she'd said it. Amid the excitement about a potential pregnancy and the foreboding about what it could reveal about my catacel status, John and I did practical things to ward off disaster. We called insurance companies. We visited the office of a life insurance agent, a young guy in his 20s with white blonde hair wearing a navy suit. Would you like coffee? The insurance agent asked in a conference room with big windows. And I sipped the weak brew as he turned on a projector and flashed tables of numbers on a screen. The agent seemed earnest and quick with numbers, confident that he grasped our situation and eager to sell us the right policy. 
And after he'd walked us through the options, I took a deep breath, trying to calm my nerves. Could you show us numbers on long-term care policies, too? I asked. The agent shot me a quizzical look. I think you probably want to consider other policies with a better return on investment, he said. You know, policies better suited to a couple of your age and circumstance. I'd recently turned 36, and I nodded, pretending to agree with his assessment that we weren't the type of people in need of long-term care insurance, a purchase most people make in their 50s, if at all. It might not be the thing we need, I tried to concede, but could you walk us through the numbers anyway? The agent clicked around on the computer and flashed a new table on the screen, and as he talked, I peppered him with cautious questions framed as hypothetical statements. If one of us was to have an unexpected illness in our 40s, then... At the end of the presentation, the agent handed John and me application packets with questions about past surgeries and illnesses, medication use, and disease history. John filled out the paperwork. I scanned through the questions, reading each one twice, but answering none of them. Trying to take stock of the application, toward the end of the booklet, I read, Is there a history of heart disease or any other hereditary disease in your family? My heart quickened, my cheeks hot like I'd been caught shoplifting. I glanced fervently at John, who was bent over the booklet. The agent fiddled with the phone on the other side of the table. I read the question again, feeling like I'd been gut-punched. I couldn't truthfully answer no. I put down my pen and closed the booklet. It's getting late and I have a meeting I need to get to, I said adrenaline pounding in my veins. I grabbed my coat and headed for the door, the need to escape urgent like I'd seen flames, leaving John to follow. He caught up with me in the lobby. You didn't mention a meeting on the way over, he said. I read ahead on the application. It asked about hereditary disease. Oh, John's face blanched, his eyes deadened. I think we have to find another company, I said. Rejection and shame nodded in the pit of my stomach. What if we can't get insurance, I thought, my breathing fast and shallow. What will we do if my health fails, my mind goes blank, and I can't work? John researched more insurance companies the following week, while I called our local genetic center. I'd like to do some preconception genetic counseling, I explained, to a geneticist on the phone. Are there specific conditions you're worried about, he asked, or is it age-related? My mother has a rare autosomal dominant disease that I want to avoid passing on. What disease? The question spiked my anxiety. I glanced around my home office, with windows overlooking our backyard garden, trying to calm myself. I'd rather discuss the specifics in person, I said. My husband and I are in the process of applying for insurance. I don't think we'll have those policies in place before our appointment, but I want to try and understand my options while keeping the details out of my medical records. Let's talk when you come in, the geneticist said. And on the day of our appointment, I poured the coffee I'd made but barely touched into a to-go mug. I hopped in the car with John, trying to ignore the jitters in my chest, the nodding in my stomach. And in the waiting room, I gave the woman at the front desk my name. She handed me a clipboard of paperwork. I paged through it, reading a release form that allowed the center to share my medical records with the hospital system, and another form for my insurance. This is exactly what I was hoping to avoid. I handed John the papers and needed my jaw in frustration. He skimmed them. Maybe we can pay cash and not go through insurance. He approached the woman at the front desk to ask. I don't know if the counselors will see you if you don't fill out that paperwork, 
the woman said. A nurse in the doorway called my name. John and I followed her through the maze of hallways. John held my purse and mug while the nurse fitted me with a blood pressure cuff and took my pulse. 120, that's a little high, the nurse said. I think I'm nervous. The nurse led us to a conference room. John and I huddled together at one end of a long table. I sipped coffee and fidgeted with my hands. John touched my knee lightly. There was a knock at the door. The geneticist introduced himself with a handshake. A woman popped in next, introducing herself as the genetic counselor. I understand you are here today to do some preconception counseling, the geneticist said, and that you have concerns about genetic disease in your family. I'm also concerned about this paperwork, I said. I think I explained on the phone that we're applying for insurance. I don't want this appointment in my medical record. We're happy to pay outright for the services, John added. All of our records are HIPAA secure, the geneticist said, referring to the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act, which protects sensitive patient health information from being disclosed without a patient's consent. That isn't enough. I tried to moderate the frustration in my voice. A life insurance company can request these records. I can't start this conversation if I can't be sure you'll keep it off the record. The geneticist and the genetic counselor exchanged a glance. I stared hard at John. We have a privacy officer we could call, the genetic counselor suggested. How about I look up that number? She stepped out. I don't know if we have dealt with this before, the geneticist said, leaning across the table, trying to engage. While we're waiting, maybe you could tell me a bit about what's going on with your family. John caught my eye and shrugged. I looked around the room. No computer, just a pad of paper on the table in front of the geneticist. How far could this information get? I took a deep breath, exhaled. My mother has a rare disease called catacil. I don't know that condition. It's a hereditary stroke condition. My risk for having it is 50%. We'd like to start trying for a baby, but I don't want to pass on the gene if I have it. We're leaning towards prenatal testing, I added, but I was hoping to learn more about cost, timelines, and the risks for the various paths. Do you know what causes catacil? the geneticist asked. What mutation or genetic change? A mutation on chromosome 19 in the notch 3 gene, I said. I don't know the exact nucleotide. Was your mother tested, or was her condition diagnosed from symptoms? I can bring in her test results if you need them. My annoyance grew. But what I'm hoping to do today is understand my options for having a child. The genetic counsel returned. She pulled a telephone off the shelf, placed it in the middle of the table, and dialed. Yes, we're with the patient now. The genetic counselor explained my request to someone on the other end. She'd like to know if there are any privacy protections to keep today's appointment out of the medical record. The genetic counselor passed me the phone. All of our records are HIPAA secure, ma'am, even when shared between facilities, a woman on the other end said. That won't prevent the release of these records when I apply for life insurance, I said, my dismay growing that none of them seemed to understand the legal limitations of HIPAA and GINA. Can you please put the genetic counselor back on, the privacy officer asked. The genetic counselor cradled the phone to her ear and cracked open the laptop she carried in. The privacy officer seemed to be offering step-by-step instructions on how to access a protected file. The nurse poked her head in, and the geneticist stepped out, and when he returned, he said, I'm very sorry, but I think we're going to need a little more time to figure this out. 
I can follow up with you in a few days and have you make another appointment, the genetic counselor said. And she and the geneticist escorted us to the lobby. I handed the woman at the front desk the clipboard of blank paperwork. Well, that was a waste of time, John said, closing the car door with a thud. Now what do we do, I thought, feeling panicked. It seemed like the best and perhaps only thing my healthcare providers could do for me was keep my secret, and they couldn't even do that. I puttered around the house the next day, unfocused and tense, behind on deadlines but unable to write. Who can help me, I thought. I remember the geneticist, who my family had spoken to soon after my mother's diagnosis. I hadn't been in touch with him in eight years, but I emailed asking for advice. Relief flooded my chest when he wrote back promptly, saying a genetic counselor from his team would give me a call. That way there's no paper trail, he wrote, and if you decide to pursue clinical testing, you'd have gotten your ducks in a row, so to speak, beforehand. I knew immediately I'd gone to the right person. He understood my need for discretion. He had stressed years ago the importance of getting life, long-term care, and disability insurance. As if I have a stroke like my mother, and I need to relearn how to walk, make a simple meal, use the washing machine, insurance could help me pay for therapy. On some of the scariest days of my life, I've turned to my healthcare providers hoping for help. I needed concrete things, such as an open, supportive conversation an understanding of the legal limitations of healthcare privacy, and a secure file to protect my genetic information. In my experience, most healthcare providers aren't well-trained in offering genetic counseling to someone like me, a provider who doesn't want to learn their disease status. Many providers don't seem to understand the limitations of the law in protecting me. So genetic information has many uses and implications, financial, psychological, clinical, and reproductive. Knowing my at-risk status, I want to protect my family financially. I want to ensure that I don't pass on Catacil. And if I show up in an emergency room exhibiting stroke symptoms, I would actually prefer to have my Catacil test results in a secure file so that healthcare providers can treat me appropriately. But I don't want to spend 15, 20, 30 years living with knowledge that my mind is about to fail or carrying the guilt of knowing that I had been spared, waiting for other people in my family to falter. And doctors record information in patients' charts all the time that can affect insurance applications, information about tumors, blocked arteries, high blood pressure. Current disease symptoms aren't the same as having a potential future risk of developing a disease. We are all at risk of getting sick in the future. It's why we buy insurance. To be sure, my risk of developing Catacil is not the same as another person's unknown future risk for an unknown future disease, but unknown does not mean unknowable, and many more people than we realize are at risk of developing genetic disease. In a 2019 study by Colatina Macini and colleagues found that as many as 21% of adults may carry a genetic mutation that is highly predictive of disease, and the risk I'm facing is not exceptional. It is emblematic of the future. So we are all previvors of genetic disease. We all have a natural lifespan and pre-programmed reasons why our bodies will fail. Our life choices and our environment feed our genetic predispositions. Heart disease or cancer, Alzheimer's or Parkinson's, arthritis or diabetes. 
As science advances, more and more people will be offered genetic information that is predictive of the trajectory of their lives, their health, and their deaths. And in a future where many, maybe most people, will have access to predictive genetic information, how will life, long-term care, and disability insurance work? As insurance companies have long argued that information asymmetry that favors consumers' knowledge of their risks could bankrupt the industry, and if the private insurance model is no longer commercially viable, heredity could become a predictor of financial affluence or ruin. And we need a new social safety net. Notably, states such as California, Florida, and Colorado, where I live, have expanded their laws to prohibit genetic information from being considered when underwriting insurance. And a number of organizations in the U.S. have been advocating for the further expansion of protections for genetic information including the American Society of Human Genetics, which supports strengthening the patchwork of state laws to provide robust protections for insurance types beyond health insurance. And the American Medical Association's House of Delegates also de adopted a policy that advocates for extending GINA's consumer protections by adding long-term care, disability, and life insurance to the Act. And in an international context, Canada and South Korea have banned the use of genetic test results in underwriting or outlawed genetic discrimination in insurance. The United Kingdom placed a moratorium on the use of genetic information in underwriting, but also allowed notable exceptions. For example, insurance companies can consider Huntington's status when underwriting life insurance. Along with more expansive legal protections, we need more nuanced mechanisms for protecting genetic information in the healthcare system. We need to develop more clear guidance for how to use genetic information in ways that align with a patient's values. The idea of a secure file in the medical record has been floated as a solution in other contexts. For instance, the American Medical Association recommends that when a child's genetic status is determined incidentally, the information should be put in the patient record but should not be disclosed to the child or third parties until the child reaches maturity, as long as the information isn't immediately clinically actionable. And genetic information has many important uses. It can save lives, illuminating the most effective cancer drug or the best psychiatric medication, or uncovering a need for regular screenings or preventive treatments. Today, however, genetic diagnostics are far outpacing treatment. And I know firsthand that genetic information can expose a difficult fate with no remedy. And we have not sufficiently defined the protections and prohibitions for how genetic information is used. So although I am in good health, I can be refused insurance legally, not because of the genes I have, but because of the genes I might have. This is a dangerous precedent. My life shouldn't be worth less than anyone else's because of a mutation in my mother's DNA. And I shouldn't feel like I need to hide my genetic risk from my healthcare providers. But I've often done so because I feared the harm a well intended note might do. And if people like me continue to feel wary of sharing genetic information with their doctors or researchers or of enrolling in clinical trials, we risk impeding advances in gene therapy, which families like mine so desperately need. That was Susanna Smith reading her essay, Keeping Quiet About Genetic Risk. Thank you for listening. <laughs>